Welcome back, everybody. Welcome back to Advancing Our Church. I'm your host, Jim Friend. I'm so excited to be here. I'm always excited to be here. We are the premier Catholic stewardship podcast, and I think we've been around the longest. This spring actually will be six years. Crazy how time flies. But we are in the season of Lent, much more importantly, and I want to offer you just something to think about, just in case you've not decided exactly what you're going to do for Lent this year. It's not too late. No matter when you get started, God will appreciate the effort. So just start praying right now, today. As soon as you finish listening to this episode, or you can put a pause right now and start praying, start fasting, start giving some of your resources to those who are less fortunate, God will recognize the effort. It's not a spectator sport. Lent is a participatory sport, and you've got to get started if you're going to make a difference in your own life, in your own spiritual relationship with God. But you know me. I'm going to give you something a little bit more than that here, something tangible. And I want to give credit to Father Dave. He's our chaplain at the St. John Vianney Center. He shared this little pearl with us. And and if you're unsure what to give up this Lent, I'm going to offer you a few ideas from Father John Katori of the St. Jude Ministry. He says, and maybe for this, just close your eyes just for a moment. Unless, of course, you're driving a car. Don't close your eyes. I don't want to be responsible for any accidents. But maybe you could just put yourself in a prayerful moment here just for a second, just for a few seconds. Okay, here's what to give up. Give up bitterness. Turn to forgiveness. Give up hatred. Return good for evil. Give up negativism. Be positive. Give up complaining. Be grateful. Give up pessimism. Be an optimist. Give up harsh judgments. Think kindly thoughts. Give up worry. Trust in divine providence. Give up discouragement. Be full of hope. Give up anger. Be more patient. Give up pettiness. Be more mature. Give up gloom. Enjoy the beauty around you. Give up jealousy. Pray for trust. Give up gossiping. Control your thoughts. Give up sin and turn to virtue. I'm going to put this little mantra in the show notes of our episode because You may find it useful just to kind of review it this time of year, this season of Lent, and meditate on what those words mean for you. Before we get started with our interview, I just want to thank our sponsor, Changing Our World. Changing Our World, of course, is a fundraising and social impact consulting firm that has been serving the Catholic Church for more than 20 years. And if you're thinking about a capital campaign or a major gift effort, or maybe you just need a little bit of a fundraising tune-up, these guys have run campaigns and major gift efforts all over the country of all shapes and sizes. And I want you to visit their website at changingourworld.com, where you can learn more about their complete suite of services. You can find a link to their website in the show notes of this episode. Once again, thank you to Changing Our World for sponsoring this episode. Now, let's get to work. Today, I speak with Dr. Matthew Whalen, the ninth president of Caldwell University and the first male lay president in Caldwell's history. Prior to joining Caldwell, Dr. Whalen served as vice president for university enrollment strategy and relationship development at Stony Brook University, where he held a variety of key leadership roles in undergraduate and graduate admissions, financial aid, registrar, enrollment management, student services, fundraising, facilities, and strategic planning for several campuses. 
President Whalen has extensive experience leading administrative and faculty teams at Catholic and public higher education institutions. And some of those include St. John's University, Hofstra University, William Patterson University, and Mercyhurst College. Dr. Whalen has held a number of positions at national higher education boards and associations, and he's also presented nationally and internationally on issues impacting higher education. He once coached a women's soccer team to an NCAA Division II Final Four appearance, and he's taught graduate students in higher education administration. He holds a master's degree from William Patterson University and a doctorate in educational leadership from Dowling College in Shirley, New York. Today, we'll talk about his native home of Denville, New Jersey, where he grew up in a family of eight. Dr. Whalen and his wife, Kathy, have three daughters and a three-year-old border collie named Lucy. And so, without further ado, here is Dr. Matthew Whalen. Well, President Whalen, welcome to the podcast. So glad to have you here on Advancing Our Church. Thanks for having me. I'm eager to, to listen and learn and, and maybe even speak a little. Well, we, you, you are the main event today, and Caldwell University has got such a, a long history and, and wonderful service to the community. And, you know, I was thinking about the, the community from your perspective. You're kind of a homegrown New Jersey native, living and working and serving in a community that you grew up in, essentially, not too far away. What is it like for you to be serving in this role in a community that is so near and dear to your heart? So, so first of all, I am I'm really humbled. I'm honored to be serving in this position. It is a position of great responsibility for both the students who go here, the, the Dominican order, the Catholic Church, and, and the future of Catholic uh, higher education. So it truly is a humbling honor for me to be sitting here in this chair, and, and it takes with it a great responsibility. So I take that very seriously. We're doing our best to do what we can in a very, very tumultuous time in higher education. And, you know, there's a, a great campus culture here of support for each other. So I, I truly do appreciate that. It's funny, Jim, I'm sitting about about nine miles from where I was born. And I am sitting less than a half a mile from where my wife and I returned from our honeymoon and first shared an apartment together 30 some years ago. This was the first town we lived in when we got married. And we had an apartment about a half mile down the road from where I am now. And even closer to that is a little place called the Cloverleaf, where my wife was a waitress as we were a young married couple struggling to make it and earn a few extra bucks. So we're familiar in the community. We're familiar with the community. And, and we truly love this place. That seemed very evident when I looked at your bio and I saw how close you went to high school and, and just uh, the fact that you grew up in that community. What's it been like, your, your career journey through higher education to this point? Well, there are several teachers who would be rolling over in their grave if they knew that I went on to be a college president, <laughs> including my wonderful, wonderful fourth grade teacher, Mrs. Carruth, who really, who really did have a lot of faith in me, even though I think I gave her a bit of a hard time through the, through the years. You know, my journey's been interesting. I'm born into a large family, second oldest of eight children, family that stayed together. My mom and dad were married until, you know, my dad passed. And my mom then had the eight of us to take care of her and her 28 grandchildren. So we are truly a large you know, Irish Catholic family. And, and that has in some ways been a, a wonderful support system for me 
and for all of us, I think, to rely on each other. We're a very close family, and as much as six brothers and two sisters will quarrel and, and quibble a little bit growing up, as, as adults, we've discovered we actually like each other. So we spend an awful lot of time together. So having my family in the, the immediate area is really, it's really wonderful. I have a brother who's about a half mile down the road. You know, everybody's really within about 15 miles, maybe. There's two beyond that beyond that radius. So, so uh, we'll venture down to South Jersey to see them. I have one brother in Virginia as well. That's wonderful. And, and I hear you played a little soccer at, was it at Mercyhurst? Or? Well, I played soccer. My, my grandfather was from Liverpool. My father was the first one in his family born in this country. They emigrated from Ireland in the mid-1860s and got as far as Liverpool, England, where they settled. And I had my great uncles, my father's uncles were all merchant seamen and sailors on cruise ships, the Cunard Line. And my father was born in this country on November 1st, 1929, just after the great stock market crash. So it was an interesting, interesting beginning for us. And we've since gone on to have a really wonderful life and growing up in a small town of Denville, New Jersey. Life was centered around the parish, St. Mary's School as as our youth and the soccer teams we played on. And so we played soccer from a very young age before soccer was really popular in the United States. My brothers and I were on the first soccer team that was formed in our town. Wonderful. And you mentioned your parish. What what role has your faith played in, in your educational journey? I know that Catholic higher education, even Catholic secondary education, it's it's been a challenge for everybody nationwide. But what, what a great choice you've made in pursuing your faith through your career a little bit. You know, the faith has always been somewhat central to our, our life, our upbringing. We were altar boys from the youngest time. We were very active in our parish, I think probably because it was easy for the pastor to make one phone call and get four altar boys than, than anything else. So we did an awful lot of funerals. We did an awful lot of weddings. We did many of the main liturgical events throughout the year, throughout the liturgical calendar. So life in many ways centered on what was happening at the church. We were enrolled in St. Mary's School in Denville, which has since closed. That's the sad thing that we're seeing. As the elementary Catholic schools close or or condense, as the high schools close, and there are some, as you know, that have been closing, that is a threat to the Catholic colleges and universities in the country who are really, in many measures, places that students can go not just to advance their own lives, but to advance the lives of others. Because mm-hmm. what we do is more than just provide the college degree. We hope to provide the education and the degree and the attentiveness to Catholic social teaching that they will take with them. And I'm sure that it amply prepared you for the role that, you, that you've taken now. And I know you've been in that role for a couple of years. I guess a couple of questions. You you took this role in the middle of the pandemic, July 1, 2020, and you were the first lay person, lay man to take this role. Tell us a little bit about that transition. The transition for me was, was a big one. I'd been at a large research university on the North Shore of Long Island for about 14 years, but I got my start at a small Mercy College in Erie, Pennsylvania, Mercyhurst College, now Mercyhurst University. And that was the place where I think uh, the catalyst for learning and lifelong learning really um, was ignited. And so I think the, the ability for my journey to have started at Mercyhurst College, where I learned how to learn and I learned how to be part of the community, and I really, really became interested in learning, that was key to my current position. I signed my contract three weeks before COVID hit. Wow. <laughs> uh, and so I had worked at a small Catholic university at Mercyhurst College at the time. I have worked at the largest Catholic university undergrad in the country, St. John's University, where I was dean of admissions. And then I worked at a secular university, Hofstra University, and then finally over to Stony Brook. And the reason I left St. John's University was for based on family. 
commuting on the Long Island Expressway is not all it's cracked up to be. And it's not cracked up to be much, trust me. But I spent an awful lot of hours on the Long Island, Island Expressway. I would put my children, Kathy and I had three young children, and I would put them to bed sometimes Sunday night when they were, were young and, and, and not see them occasionally until Thursday night. That's no way to raise a family. That's hard. I decided to leave St. John's and, and, and take a job within really a, a stone's throw of my house in Stony Brook, New York at Stony Brook University and found a wonderful community there, but it was, it was missing something. It was missing that, that sense of faith and that sense of attachment to something greater that I found at the, at a place like Mercyhurst and certainly saw at a place like Caldwell. So I, my journey was maybe a little bit non-traditional in that I did not come out of the academic sector. I came out of an enrollment and administrative sector, and I did not come out of a long career particularly um, entrenched in Catholic higher education. But that has allowed me actually the experience of bringing some of the ideas of the academic and other ideas from some of the other universities and then surrounding them in our Catholic values and figuring out how we can do things better. So I feel blessed to have taken the journey I've taken. Again, if you hear the phrase, the luck of the Irish, it may not apply in this case, you know, as signing <laughs> the contract three weeks before COVID. But, you know, I grew up in a family where well, you play the hand you're dealt. You know, you deal with what's in front of you and you move through it as best you can. And that's what we're doing here at Caldwell with a great team of people. You know, no one does this alone. Uh, we have a phenomenal team of people working together to try and move us through the pandemic and, and into the post-pandemic environment in higher ed, which is probably the most disruptive period in higher education since the land grants, possibly since the formation of higher ed in this country. Tell us a little bit more about that. I, I can only imagine. I know that most uh, colleges have, obviously all colleges felt the impact of the pandemic, but how has that impacted Caldwell? And then how have you all been moving through that together? So people very often conflate the idea of private college with very well endowed universities sitting on hundreds of millions of dollars in endowment. And that's not the case. There are many, many small Catholic colleges and universities who serve an important sector of our of our society, people who may not be as wealthy as others and people who need a, a smaller faith-based organization to help them move through their move through their pathway into higher education. And so I really think that it's important that places like Caldwell University and Mercyhurst University now, that we pay attention to our to our people in our local area who need higher education, whether it's to break the cycle of poverty in that family, whether it's to prepare them for a life in the future and the changes that are coming. We are faced right now in this country with a tsunami of change in higher education and specifically in Catholic higher education. People are questioning the value of higher education. And the value of higher education is incontrovertible. It leads to a higher socioeconomic strata for the family. It leads to more civic engagement. It leads to more religious engagement. It leads to more social engagement, less reliance on, on, on social services to help the family. So the, the, the value equation is incontrovertible. But people question the value. We're faced with competing institutions and free colleges. And, and I don't believe that anything of value can be gotten for free. I believe you have to contribute something, time, treasure, talent, whatever it might be, to achieve something of value. So we're fighting that that headwind. We're fighting headwinds of demographic changes. In another two years, roughly, we're going to go into a period in which there are fewer and fewer 18-year-olds available for entry to higher education. There'll be just as many colleges and universities, but there are fewer and fewer 18-year-olds. And so when your supply changes, there will be places that 
Some will continue to take a lot of students. As people take a lot of students from a smaller number, there will be some institutions that struggle to get students. And many of those institutions will be the small Catholic colleges and universities without huge endowments to carry them through the headwinds. There's technological changes we're faced with and how students want to learn and distance learning. And so these are the things we deal with on a regular basis, on a, on a daily basis, in addition to, you know, students not liking food and not having places to park on campus. Sure. Yeah. The, the, the simple things, the good old days, right? <laughs> right. Right. We don't have parking problems on campus. We actually have walking problems. Students don't want to walk an extra hundred yards sometimes. So Interesting, interesting. So your enrollment background obviously has obviously served the college well, I'm sure, and and strategically helps you think about things maybe a little differently. What have been some of the strategies that you've been implementing or ways in which you've been trying, you know, retaining students as well as, as attracting new ones? Yeah, so that's that's a that's a great question. And and in, in Catholic higher education, the mission is, is the soul of the university. What we are here to do in Caldwell's case is to seek truth, promote justice, you know, uh, have students contribute to a just society. Those are strong words in, in a mission statement. So that really is our our soul of our university. Our faculty in some ways are the extension of that soul, the people who help the students learn, but the enrollment is the lifeblood. Sure. Without the enrollment, the rest doesn't matter. And so without that enrollment, which is key to our revenue streams and key to making sure we can pay our staff and and do the things we need to do, we can't continue to exist. And so quite frankly, the focus on enrollment has been key. The pandemic has, has hurt us, you know, as it has many, many small Catholic universities, students, and in some high measure, Students who can least afford to do so are dropping out of college. Black and brown students, students at lower economic thresholds. They're seeing jobs available for 18 or $20 an hour at big box stores or at warehouses. And at 18 years old, that's phenomenal until they get to 25 and they realize they're not getting raises and that's all they're doing. And now they have to try and raise a family and they have no education to fall back on. So it's critical for us to keep all those things I spoke about a few minutes ago, the value equation, in front of people and talk about how much this investment in your future will pay off. And so that's what we're working on. So the strategies we're working on are are effectively ensuring that we have a message that resonates with our students. And the message that we talk about here, we surround all of our offerings and sort of the core values of respect, integrity, community, and excellence. I call that sometimes the rice that feeds us. And so we want to, we want to teach students to respect others, but we also want them to respect themselves. You know, we want them to have the integrity that when they say something they'll, for, for someone, they'll do it. And when they say something to themselves, they'll do it. We want to teach them about the strength of this community. This little number of 2,000 students on this campus, we're a community. But when they leave us, they join a community of seven or 8,000 alumni. And then they join a community of their, their town, their city, their state, their region, the country, the world. We bring students in from Nepal in large numbers every year. They've connected. And so our community leaves us and goes out into the world and hopefully helps make the world a better place. Hopefully what we've taught our students allows them to contribute in some way to making the world a better place and whether It's as nurses when they leave here or health professionals or teachers or art therapists or even business people who are going to be involved in ethical business practices. That's what we want. That's the extension of the Caldwell community and really respect for some of the Catholic social teachings and the Dominican teachings for 
human dignity and respect for creation and those types of so key. Ethics in the workplace is, is such an important topic today, and it's something that Catholic education has brought for generations. President Whalen, tell us a little bit about what are some of the key signature academic programs that attract some of the larger ones that are attracting some of your students to come to be a student there? Right now, you know, clearly healthcare is key. We mm. were, our nursing program has doubled in size over the last few years, which is an amazing, an amazing thing if you think about young men and women seeking to enter a career that has such a high burnout rate right now, and yet they're putting themselves in a position where they want to go into these stressful situations in hospitals where they'll be working 12 hours and you know more and, and holding the hands of people who are passing or bringing new life into the world and, and then seeing that, that, that young person, that infant in a neonatal unit. Our nurses are phenomenal. The fact that they're giving their lives to do something as important to me is an incredible, incredible testament to their soul. So our nursing program is very, very large. We have an interesting program. We have a sport management and esports program. And that is where students can go out and, and learn the business of esports and gaming and hopefully be able to engage in the sale and marketing of games that can teach students not just the violent games and things that their, their, their students are faced with. Gaming can be made for good purposes to teach students how to learn. And so we hope that our students are going on to do that. We have an art therapy program, uh, a certified art therapy program. As students are coming out of the pandemic and adults are coming out of the pandemic, they spent two years in social isolation. We're training art therapists to go out and work with those people to reintegrate them back into social situations in a safe manner. So that's an incredibly important program. Our counseling program, another very large program, whether we're spinning out guidance counselors or mental health counselors, the mental health needs of college students is exploding. Oh, I'll bet. In some regard, possibly because students have moved away from some of what I was brought up with in, in a church where you could always fall back on the school and the church and the parish for support. I'm not sure everybody has that as much as I did. And so I'm also concerned about that. We also have applied behavioral analytics program. We teach teachers of autism. And so we educate the teachers of autism to help those who are suffering from some type of uh, autism-related disorder to excel in their lives using their disability to do well and as well as they can. So that's an incredibly important part of who we are. And then, of course, you know, as as are the other programs across the country, our science, our STEM, and our computer science, are, are those programs are also exploding. But we hope to use those computer science programs, not just to teach students how to program, but so that our students in the humanities and social sciences can learn about things like artificial intelligence and how it can be used for well-intended purposes, not just nefarious purposes. Well, your, your campus is situated in such a great spot in that you, you have some of the suburban attributes of, of a campus, but you're also just a stone's throw from Manhattan and, and a large city. I, I'm curious, what are some of the deciding factors as to why a student chooses an education at Caldwell beyond the academics? One of, you know, the academics certainly attracts the students, but I think sure. one of the things that also attracts them is we are deeply committed to making education affordable. We, we provide $33 million of our own money each year back to students in financial aid. If a student comes to us with Pell, which is basically students coming from the lowest socioeconomic strata in the country, if they're Pell eligible and TAG eligible in the state of New Jersey, we pay their tuition for that. That student won't have to take any loan for tuition. 
So that's a commitment that we're making to help improve the social mobility of those students and break what could be generations of families living at the line between poverty and and lower middle class. We want to be able to propel those students from the lowest strata income-wise into the higher strata. Incredible. Uh, We talked a little bit about the Catholic education piece. How is that lived out on campus? Do the Dominican sisters still play a role in campus life? The Dominican sisters are our sponsors. They are the corporate member from a legal perspective. The Dominican sisters are the member of the Caldwell uh, University Corporation, and they cede the power to run the uh, organization to the board of trustees and myself and the officers of the university. And so we take that responsibility seriously. And the sisters retain reserve powers over mission and, and Catholicity and the direction of the college, but also over some of the physical attributes of the college. And so these arrangements are across the country taking on new positions. Some orders, as they get older, are no longer sponsoring institutions in the way they, they formerly would. We're still a sponsored institution by the the Caldwell Dominican Sisters of St. Dominic. And so they're active on our board of trustees. We have five sisters on our board. I meet with the prioress at least once a month and talk with her about what she sees us doing. We have a you know certainly a Catholic campus ministry, but we also serve the needs of other students. We are welcoming all students here. Of course. We have Muslim students on campus. We have Jewish students on campus. We have Catholic students on campus. And our campus ministry, we have Sunday night mass here. We have special feast day masses where we celebrate students. We have special founders day masses. So we, we try to provide those students with an on-campus version of the parish I grew up in. That's what I look to us as. And we've seen some declination in the numbers of students who attended over the years as as almost every parish in the country. And we're working to new ways to get them back into learning about what it means to be a Catholic Dominican mission. Our social services, we have a project called Midnight Run, where students get in the vans at 10 o'clock at night and drive into New York City to distribute socks or gloves or coats or scarves or food to the homeless. And it's well-organized, and we do that in conjunction with several other Catholic colleges. There are several ways to live out the, the Dominican Catholic mission doesn't all mean going to church and doing things the the way we did it, although we would like that to be an additional part of their learning and and quite frankly, their their support system. Absolutely. And and you mentioned other Catholic colleges. Are you in partnership with them? Or I I know obviously having such a strong Catholic education background, are are you finding ways to work together in in different ways? You know, we've spoken to several of Catholic colleges in the area, and I'm friendly with their presidents. I think that's Mm -hmm. key because the future for Catholic higher education, the future for all of higher education is going to involve some level of partnerships and perhaps consolidations in some cases. But within, you know, within 15 miles of, of where I'm sitting is Felician College is Seton Hall University, is St. Peter's University. Just down south of us is Georgia Court University. There's a lot of ability for students to choose, make a choice about different Catholic universities. At some level, we want to be able to work with those institutions to offer academic programs that one of us may not be able to offer, but the other one wouldn't. We were in discussions with Seton Hall. Our provost was in discussion, excuse me, our academic vice president was in discussions with Seton Hall about getting some of our pre-law students exposure to their law program. I've had conversations with several other presidents about how we can begin to work together to offer features on our campus that may not be found on theirs and vice versa, by the way. 
Excellent. It sounds like you have a lot of wisdom to offer. I'm sure you do from from your years in, in higher education as well as Catholic education. What are some of the lessons or some some of the wisdom that you would pass on to to young leaders in today's world? Well, I appreciate that. Yeah, that's a generous definition for the term wisdom. I can give some <laughs> of my experiences. I'll let others determine if it's wisdom or not. But I think we have to let other aspiring professionals in higher education to know that Catholic higher education is specifically a very, very strong option as students go on to earn more in their lifetime, but also contribute back to whether it's the elementary schools, the high schools, the hospitals that are helping others. We really do carry with us this ability that it's not just about us. We have to go out and help others and serve others and respect others and, 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 and ensure the human dignity of the person. And so that's what we want our students and our, our faculty to take with them. And as young professionals are looking at careers, having that ability to say, I'm doing something greater than myself and greater than my paycheck is, I think, a very reassuring and comforting part to know you're giving back. You're not just taking a salary, but you're also giving back to others. And I think Catholic higher education provides an incredible outlet for that. And possibly even mentorship, I think, or just walking along the journey with young professionals and helping them along, just being available to them, perhaps. Yeah. And so, you know, we do that. We have higher education's an interesting business, if you will. And I used air quotes there for a moment. <laughs> The business is that we do have to make sure that we can run our house and pay our bills and do those things. But it's also a business that we will bring students in and support them beyond just when they're fee-paying students. We have alumni chapters around the country. We want them to be able to take what they've learned at Caldwell. Someone has a quote that says, what you learn here leaves here. And we want them to take that with them. So whether it's a mentorship uh, program, whether I can help someone or my colleagues can help someone, I know every single one of them would. We would hope to tell them to look at a higher education, look at the value added that you would get at a higher education institution and give it a try. Our salaries may not be as high. Benefits, quite frankly, may not be as high. But our culture is unmatched. And that's something that I think is important for students to realize. Excuse and the me. experience is absolutely priceless. Absolutely. Tell us a little bit about your, your alumni base. Are they still very much involved with uh, campus life and helping you to further the mission? You know, we have alumni around the country, primarily based in New Jersey. But we're, I was just down in Washington, D.C. and in Baltimore talking with two alumni and, and alumna from California, who is, uh, quite frankly, possibly joining our board as after a successful career in technology. And so we have alumni spread far and wide. We have alumni from around the world. They get involved through our normal activities, such as the homecoming activity. Or I think tonight I'm going to a Caldwell Couples event where couples, People who have gotten married at Caldwell can come back. And tonight we're going to celebrate about 30 people who got married at Caldwell with a little bit of wine and cheese and just let them reconnect, see the, see the new chapel we built, see the new study lounges we have, see the new distance ed classrooms. And some of those people will go on to come back here and maybe do a master's degree or a certificate. Some will just feel comforted that they're back on campus. They can relive their memories. Some will dig in their pocket and want to support something. And that's all of those things are good, whether it's their time, their talent, their treasure, or just that connection. It allows us to be that extension of the family and the community we're trying to create here. Wonderful. Well, President Whalen, any closing thoughts? Where are you headed over the next year or so? You know, we're many of us in small Catholic institutions. I just came back from the, the National Catholic College and University meeting. And there's many small Catholic colleges and universities that are just coming out of this pandemic and trying to look at themselves and some of the changes 
changes that are occurring and, and how we're going to adapt to those changes. So this will be a period of both protecting our ability to, to attract students here and investing in that ability to continue to attract students here, but also how we might redefine ourselves as a Catholic university in the future and how we might redefine the partnerships we have with other Catholic colleges and universities. So it's an, it's an exciting time. It's an, it's an important time. And it's a time, I think, where we need all the prayers we can get to help us continue our mission to educate students in the life of the Gospels so that they can take that with them out into the world. Without a doubt. Well, prayers is something that we can certainly offer, and uh, it's it sounds like a, a great place to be, uh, an exciting uh, opportunity for you and obviously for all of the students. And congratulations on all the great work so far, and, and we will uh, stay in touch and keep in, in touch on further developments. It's exciting. Great. Jim, thank you for what you do. I think what you do is important and gives people another outlet to live and learn a little bit more about how important their religion is to them these days. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. God bless you, and uh, we'll keep you in our prayers. Thanks so much. Thanks so much. Take care. Bye-bye. I want to thank Dr. Whalen for being on our show this week. Thank you, Dr. Whalen, for all you're doing, not only for higher education, but in a special way for Catholic higher education. I'll leave links to Dr. Whalen and Caldwell University in the show notes of this episode. Once again, thank you, Dr. Whalen, for being on our show. Well, that's our show this week. Special thanks to Pottery Studios for another great show. And if you'd like to help our show, please leave us a rating wherever you downloaded this podcast. And if this is your first time listening to Advancing Our Church, I hope you're going to stick around and subscribe. You can find us on all places where you download your favorite podcasts. You can find us on YouTube. You can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. And for more information about our show and for a complete listing of all of our shows, please visit us at advancingourchurch.com. And once again, many thanks to our sponsor, Changing Our World. Well, that's it for me, everybody. I hope you're having a very prayerful season of Lent. And if you haven't started, it's not too late. Remember, Lent is not a spectator sport. Let's get out there. Let's pray. Let's fast. And let's give alms. Take care, everybody. Have a great week. God bless you.